You are listening to the Midtown Church Podcast, a ministry that exists to make Jesus known. Take out your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers. We've been in this series, if you're a guest, a prayer series where we've been looking at different passages um, all over the place in the Bible that talk about the topic, drop in on prayers, the practice of prayers, those types of things. We've been doing that all summer, and we're going to end this series today by looking at a passage in, in, like I said, the book of Numbers chapter 6. The book of Numbers, by the way, is one of those, is the book. If you ever hear anybody say God doesn't care about Numbers, um, you say he has a book called Numbers. He must care about Numbers somewhat. Uh, it makes one of the 66. So it's the book of Numbers. Like I said, we're looking at chapter 6. We're looking at verses 22 to 27. But before we go at it, um, have you ever heard of the word benediction? We all, I think, have, or at least for the most part, we know at least somewhat about the idea of benediction. What is a benediction? Well, I've, I've talked about this before, but the word benediction comes from the Latin, um, and it means quite literally good word. If you're Italian, what is good in Italian? Bene, right? Some of you are going, lasagna is good in Italian. No, be, bene is good in Italian. So you got bene, diction, or if you're French, right, bien, très bien, that kind of thing. So where I am in my French understanding and language. But so bene is what? It's good. Bene, diction. Diction, a dictionary is a book full of words. So a benediction is a good word. A benediction or the practice of it takes place most often at the end of a church service, church ceremony of some sort, where the pastor or whoever's leading sends people out, seeks to send people out at the end with a word of blessing, a word of assurance, a word of joy, a word of comfort, a word of peace. Why does it take place at the end of a gathering? Does it have to? Well, no, I mean, a good word can be given at any time and any place, but most often they do is, is because benedictions are often found at the close of New Testament letters. Let me give you a couple of examples you can read on the screen behind me. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, we read there as Paul ends that letter, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's a good word. That's a benediction or sometimes called a doxology, doxa, glory, a glory word. Another example, though, of a benediction takes place in the book of Ephesians, verses 23 and 24, where Paul writes there, peace be to the brothers, sisters as well, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So there's another example. But in fact, the last verse of the Bible in the book of Revelation is a benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And these aren't, it's really important to note that these aren't throwaway lines. 
how, how these authors end these letters. The authors of these letters want to leave their readers with something as they go, as they end the, end the letter and go from there in the reading of it. But one pastor talking about the act of a benediction in a, a worship gathering, he puts it this way, the benediction in a worship gathering serves as a bridge from the content of the gathering into everyday life. So you spend 75 or so minutes together, an hour and a half, you're about to go back into the world. And so what the desire is, now that you're going back into the world, you're leaving a, a place of gathering and sanctuary, I want to leave you with a blessing. I want to leave you with comfort and joy and peace. I just gave you a few examples of, of some benedictions in the Bible, but perhaps the most well-known benediction shows up in number six, our text today. And it's this benediction that I want to close our summer series on prayer with this morning. Let me read it, and then we'll pray together, and then we'll start unpacking it. We read here, starting at verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, your word in Psalm 119, the prayer of the psalmist there, I want to be our prayer this morning. Teach us your decrees, O Lord. We will keep them to the end. Give us understanding and we will obey your instruction. We will put them into practice with all our heart. Make us walk along the path of your commands, for that is where our happiness is found. Amen. So let me give you a little background uh, before we start looking specifically at the benediction itself. The people of God, the Israelites in the book of Numbers and throughout most of the last four books of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, they're in this journey towards this promised land. But as we drop in on this text in number six, they've been camped out at Mount Sinai where Moses has received the law from God and they have been camped there for about a year. They haven't moved, but that's about to change. But before they start moving again, God speaks to Moses and he tells him to tell, and you can see it in your, in your text, Aaron and his sons something. Just note that. Who are Aaron? Who is Aaron? And who are his sons? Well, Aaron is Moses' older brother. And it's Aaron that Israel's priesthood begins with. Uh, something called the Levitical priesthood. It's called the Levitical priesthood because Moses and Aaron came from the tribe of Levi. If you remember Jacob, Jacob had his name changed to Israel. He had 12 sons. The third son was Levi. Aaron, Moses came from that tribe and only priests could 
come from that tribe. And so Aaron begins the priesthood and only Aaron's sons or his descendants could become priests thereafter. What do we need to know about priests? Because they're really important in this text. Priests had many duties. They served in the tabernacle. They served in the temple thereafter. But their duties that they worked on behalf of the people were to serve as a a mediation type activity between the people and God. They served on the people's behalf. They represented the people to God, but they also served on God's behalf to the people. And we see that here. God told Moses to tell the priests that they were to say something to the people on God's behalf. The time of departure had come. The journey through the wilderness to the land of promise was to continue. But before they go, God wants to send them off and bless them with a good word. Let's take a look at it. What do we need to know about this word, this good word that God wants to leave the people with? Well, the first thing that we need to see is that it's given to a people. Just take a look at verses 22 and 23. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them. And so this is a blessing of a people, not an individual. Now I know when I say that, some of you want to push back and say, well, Norm, a people is made up of individuals. And I agree with you, but... The blessing of individuals comes by being a part of a people. This has always been God's MO. From the very beginning, our blessing individually comes by being part of a people. From the very beginning, we see that all the way back to Adam and Eve who were blessed. And right after their blessing, we're called to go out and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That takes place today, fast forward today, to the church. And so it's a blessing given to a people. You ever played the game telephone? You know know what I'm talking about? You got a group of people in a living room, and the first person starts by whispering something to someone else. And inevitably, it goes down the chain. Inevitably, what takes place is what the person at the end shares was said to them has nothing to do with what was shared at the beginning. Doesn't it seem like that's in danger of happening here? God spoke to Moses, who was told to speak to the priests, Aaron and his sons, who were told to speak to the people. Why this way? Couldn't God just speak to the people? Well, obviously God can do whatever he wants. I mean, he just spoke to Moses, but he doesn't. He tells Moses to speak to the people. He actually tells Moses to speak to the priest. He doesn't even tell Moses to speak to the people. He says, hey, Moses, I've got a word. I want you to tell the priest and the priests are going to tell the people. It's like a game of telephone. There's a danger to perhaps the message getting messed up. So why this way? Well, it's this way because this blessing was to be relayed to the people by the priests 
of the people. So it's a blessing to the people, by the people. This is vitally important, but we'll come back to it later. Just chamber it, okay? For now. That's the first thing, however, we need to see. This is a blessing to the people, by the people. But secondly, we need to see that this promised blessing comes ultimately from God. In fact, this is emphasized with the repeat use of the word, the Lord, in verses 24, 25, and 26. The Lord is the one who blesses. The Lord is the one who does this. The priests speak the blessing, but the Lord accomplishes the blessing. The priest can't bless independently from God, but God, and hear me on this, but God calls the priests to bring the word of blessing. And, and even though I say it's God who blesses ultimately, and he does, I mean, just look at verse 27. In verse 27, how the text ends is God saying, I will bless them. So ultimately, God is the one who does this. But go back and take a look at verse 23. In verse 23, it says, thus, you shall bless the people. So we have God, hear me on this, very important for us today. God using the people to bring blessing on the people. Are we good on this? This isn't a throwaway comment because when we get to application, we're gonna see how this works with us today as well. So that's the second. The third notice next, that is the Lord, all capitals, who does this. Whenever you see the Lord in the Bible with all capitals, L-O-R-D, this is speaking of the name of God that we talk about as Jehovah, Yahweh. In fact, that's our best guesstimate on what this name, how this name is pronounced, because when this name of God is revealed to Moses in the early part of Exodus, it's the name I am. In fact, it's only four letters in the Hebrew language, yod heh vah And we pronounce it Yahweh, Jehovah, that type of thing. But what's important about this particular name of God is that it's the name of God that speaks of his self-existence and his covenant-keeping commitment. And I bring this up because of how this passage ends. Take a look at verse 27. 27, verse 27 says, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. What does that mean? So shall the priests, by way of this word, will put my name on the people. Huh? What does that mean? You have to stay to the end. I'll tell you at the end. Okay, that's called a tease. Makes you stay here even though it's hot in here. We'll come back to that. So let's now go to the benediction itself. There's three verses, two actions in each verse, six actions in total. Let's take a look at them one by one. The first, the Lord bless you. There's actually a, a lot of blessing that goes on in this passage, it comes up in verse 23. It comes up here in verse 24. And there's a promise of blessing that 
closes all things off in verse 27. You could actually say that this whole benediction is a blessing. When a, when a blessing comes from God, what are we talking about? Well, words that are synonymous with the blessing of God are, are words like being favored by God, even being praised by God. In the Old Testament, and especially in the book of Numbers, blessings from God were most connected to the physical and the tangible. So if you read through the book of Numbers, blessings shows up connected to things like having many descendants, that, that you have a, a lot of fruitful harvests, that you have good health. That's a blessing that you have long life, that you have protection from your enemies. That's a blessing of God that we read about in the book of Numbers and also God's near presence. So very physical, very tangible, but oftentimes this is how we talk about blessings today. We connect it to the physical, don't we? You have a lot of kids, I'm just blessed. You got a big house, I'm blessed. You have good health, I'm just blessed. Does God bless this way? Sure, have no problem with God blessing physical and tangible ways. Children, for example, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. You're blessed. Children are a blessing. But is it possible to have no kids and be blessed? No house, bad health, and still be blessed? Is it possible? Is it, is it possible to mourn and be blessed? Like, would we ever say something like, blessed are those who mourn? Famously, Jesus did. Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you. You're blessed. When they persecute you, when they say lies against you, you're blessed. And so, yes, to answer the question, yes, God can and does bless us physically, tangibly. I mean, after all, what do we have that we have not been given by him? But, but at the same time, you may be childless, you may be broke, you may have no home and still be greatly blessed. I mean, the first verse of the book of Psalms is blessed, favored, praised, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. No mention of the physical at all. In fact, all those who are in Christ are called blessed, regardless of the physical and tangible. Paul writes, and we studied this when we went through the book of Ephesians a couple of years ago, early on in our history of this ministry, in chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God of God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What, what does it mean, by the way, before I read the rest, when we bless God? How do we bless God? Well, when we bless God, we basically are sharing our adoration. We're giving God his due. We're recognizing who he is, what he's about, his goodness to us. But blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly places. Let me ask you a question connected to this. And this is going to be a struggle for some of you. As you consider what I'm talking about in the, que in the question. Here, here's my question. For those of you who are in Christ, meaning you're a Christian. For those of you who are in Christ, do you believe that you lack no good thing? That there's nothing good that you lack? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has blessed you, favored you in Christ in that way? That, that in Christ, there is nothing you don't have right now that you actually need. Do you believe that? Here, here's why I ask. Listen to what Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He writes, God's divine power has granted us, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Another way of saying in Christ, relationship with Christ, who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Again, do you hear that? I know you hear it. Do you believe it? Because it's a call of faith. God has blessed us, granted us all things pertaining to life. Lions may go weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. Psalm 34, verse 10. Blessed with every spiritual blessing and with all things for life and godliness. I'll ask the question again. Do you believe it? And the reason why this is true and why I put it out there as a challenge on whether you believe it or not is because if you are in Christ, then Christ is in you. And if Christ is in you, then everything that is in Christ is in you. And if everything that is in Christ is in you, you lack no good thing. Blessed with every spiritual blessing. Does that mean that we won't go through hard times? Trials and tests? Tribulations? Sure, sure, we'll go through those times. We're promised those times. But we will have all things necessary when we go through them. Does this mean that we'll live, live a long life? And no, it doesn't mean that at all. But again, it will mean that we will have all things necessary for the years that we have. Blessed in every way. Secondly, take a look at the second action in verse 24. The Lord keep you. What, what does keeping mean? Well, it means uh, protection. It means guarding. It means watching over. In context, not only had Israel been set free from bondage, to Egypt, but they would be blessed with ongoing protection under God's hand as they move forward. Again, that doesn't mean that they wouldn't face trial and difficulty and battle, but it does promise that they would be kept by God in them. 
and so to us today in the church. Just listen to the prayer of Jesus. It's a longer text in John 17, what is referred to as his high priestly prayer. He prays this. He's about to go to the cross. His time of ministry was coming to an end, and he prays, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, speaking of his disciples and those who follow after them. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name. That should remind us of our text, verse 27. Like I said, we'll come back to the idea of name. Keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. There's the idea of keeping, protection, guarding, watching over. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Do you, by the way, do you find today people hating you more and more because you believe in what the word says? I, I'm finding that to be truer and truer and truer today. It's a sidebar. It says, I've given your word. The world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, even though the world hates them because of the word I've given them, but that you keep them from the evil one. Do you know why a Christian can't lose their salvation? The answer is because salvation is kept by God. Our salvation is kept by God. Again, just like the Israelites, that doesn't mean that we won't face trial and difficulty and battle, but that we will be kept by the Lord in them. He will keep us from evil. What does that mean? He will keep us from evil, meaning evil will not win. Evil will not win ultimately because we will be kept by God in our salvation. Just listen to this, the beautiful benediction that ends the book of Jude. It's not on the screen, so just take it in. But the book of Jude ends this way. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God. Who's keeping us? The only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. See, here's the reality, Midtown. If you are in Christ, if God saved you from, from bondage, he's going to keep you until the promised land the promise because God keeps our salvation. <clears throat> Just read, the, uh, listen to this as I read Psalm, Psalm 121 verses 4 to 8. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither, neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand, meaning he stands right beside you. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. It won't defeat you. He will keep your life. 
The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth <coughs> and forevermore. Let's take a look at the third action. Verse 25, the Lord makes his face to shine upon you. I love this. I love this. When you hear the imagery of God's face shining on you, think smile. That's the picture. And we, the reason why I like this is because we love smiles, don't we? We love smiles. I mean, if you go to a country and you don't speak the language, you know what you can do? Smile. It's great. You'll get along with everybody. Just smile. We love smiles. When my kids do something great, I smile. I can't help but smiling. You know what I mean? My kids went away to Europe for a couple of weeks together and I went to pick them up at the airport and I made my way and I snuck in. I jumped over this little pony wall where I wasn't allowed to be because I wanted to hide on them. And they came out. Don't tell anybody. Okay, don't tell anybody. Got arrested, a few days in jail. Everything's fine now. It's no big deal. But they came out and I couldn't help but smiling, right? Just, you get this. Why did I smile? Well, because I love my kids. But you know why as well? Because I delight in them. I delight in my kids. And that's what this idea of God's face shining on you is meant to convey. He smiles on you because he delights in you. Just listen to this from the book of Zephaniah. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Favored, praised. Midtown, please look at me when I say this. When you seek God and follow him and trust him and delight in him, God delights in you. His face shines upon you. He sings over you. As consistent as the sun rises every day, his face shines on you every day. His smile is new every morning. And when God shines his face upon you, he will forth, look at verse 25, the last part of it, he'll be gracious to you. There have um, been a lot of things written, said, sung about God's grace. A lot of it's good, some of it's not great. But I think if I was asked to pick my favorite text or word or something on the subject, I would probably go to what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. I know I've given you a lot of texts this morning, but let me give you a longer one out of Ephesians 2 and show you why I would take you there. Paul writes, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, see how that's underlined? It's not underlined. It should be underlined. So that, just... It, so here's the reason why. Paul's about to answer why God 
loves us, why God made us alive, why God raised us up, why God seated us with it. Why did God do all of that to us and for us? Well, here's the answer. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? Do you see why it's a favorite of mine? I heard Piper speaking on this, my boy Piper, we're homies. Piper speaking on this text a a number of years ago, and he said something when teaching on it that I have written in one of my Bibles. He said, one of the reasons God saves us is so that in the coming ages, he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace, and it's going to take forever. In other words, God is a huge show-off. You know what I mean? He's a show-off. And what he wants to show off is his grace. And 10 trillion years won't be enough time to show it all off. The fifth and sixth actions of God in this blessing is that he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Uh, In some ways, what we have here in verse 26 as we end this good word is a, a repeat of the previous actions of God in verse 25. And I say that because countenance can be translated as face. So his face is lifted up, his countenance is lifted up. So what's the difference? Well, as I said, his face shining on you speaks of delight. And when God delights in you, grace is given. And it's given forever. His countenance in verse 26 lifted up speaks more so of God being for you. He's on your team. He's on your side. And when God is for you, when he's on your side, what is received? Peace. What kind of peace? Shalom. Shalom is a peace that's not simply absent of strife, war, but a peace that experiences wholeness and fulfillment. It's, it's a peace with God. It's a peace with others. It's a peace with yourself. It, it's, it's also a peace that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, and peace. And therefore, it's a supernatural peace. It's a peace that is beyond understanding. It's a peace that the world doesn't understand. It's a peace that the world can't give. It's given by Jesus because as he said, I give you a peace, but I don't give a peace like the world gives. I give you a peace that the world doesn't understand. And it's the reason why the world doesn't understand it is because it's a peace that not only Jesus gives us, it's a peace that Jesus bought for us. Speaking of this, Isaiah writes, that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. If you've ever studied the Gospels and you've just lasered into the time of Jesus post-resurrection before he ascended to the Father, his message over and over that's given, repeated, almost in every situation is, peace I give. I come with peace. Peace secured on the cross by our Prince of, of Peace. So there you go. Six actions from God. Blessing, keeping, shining, gracing, lifting, peace giving. This is the good word from God for the people of God then and for us today as we continue on our journey towards an even greater promised land. Which brings us, however, again to verse 27. I said I would end with it, coming back to it. Verse 27, so they, that's the priests, with this blessing will put my name upon the people of Israel. What does this mean? Well, as some of you know, God's name speaks of God himself, his very person. And so to borrow from one commentator, with this blessing, there was an invisible reality coming in audible form. In other words, I'll put it in Norm Funk language. In this blessing, God was with his people. In this blessing, God was put upon his people. He dwelt with them. These things of God describe who God is, not simply what he would do, who he was, and by way of this doxology or this benediction, he was put on him. It's, be, it's because the name of God is so tantamount with God himself that we are called to not take the name of God in vain. Because we're not simply taking the name of God in vain, we're taking God himself in vain. It's why when the people of Israel went forward and they rebelled against God, that it's described as them profaning the name of God the name that was put on them as they carried on in their journey here. Jesus came in the Father's name. He performed miracles in his Father's name. He lived out the Father's name to the fullest. And what about the name of Jesus itself? Well, it's the only name under heaven by which we are saved. To have, have salvation, we too are to put on the name of Jesus. Jesus, that the name that is above every other name. The name that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess is Lord to the glory of the Father. As we move to a time of response, and we are, I want to leave you with three very quick takeaways. The first, the blessing of number six is even more for us today in Christ. I'd like to expand on that, but I'm going to leave you with a homework assignment this week. Just go to this text, 
go to the beach, enjoy the last couple of days in August, and think of these actions of God, how do I experience them in even greater ways in Christ? Because we do. Second takeaway, God continues to call a people. Yes, we each have individual responsibilities, and yes, we can all say that Jesus died for me, and yes, he calls us each by name, but he calls us individually to be a part of a people. And the abundance of his blessings that he has for us comes by you and I being a part of a people. You see, the reality is I shared this yesterday with the CG leaders in their time of training. There are things in the Christian life that can't be experienced apart from one another. We are a family. We're a nation. We are a people for his own possession. And to somehow think that we can do the Christian life apart from one another will be to experience a Christian life absent of God's intention for you. We're called to be a part of a people. Last takeaway. We're not only a people, we are all priests. What does that mean? Well, the reason why I say this is because Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.9 that we're all a royal priesthood. As Revelation 5 says, we are a kingdom and priests to our God. So again, what does that mean? It means we are all sons of Aaron. All of us, if you are in Christ. Meaning what? Meaning we can all bless We've been called to bless. In fact, I'll take it even further. We've been blessed to bless. We've been given a good word, haven't we? We've been, a, we've been given a good word to bless others with. And that good word certainly includes the good news story of Jesus, but it also includes ongoing words of encouragement to one another from people to people, God's given us this word. We're all priests, good words to give to one another as we journey on toward the promised land. Moses ain't going to give it. Priests, give it. We're all priests. And so, as I close, I have to highlight, sadly, one danger that comes with this. The danger is what James writes of in James 3 when he writes, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. And so let's not bless, excuse me, let's not curse, but bless. And let's commit to doing life together as messy as it is, as messy as we are, and, and let's enjoy the good word that is ours in Christ. Jesus on us. Jesus in us. And let's daily be committed to bringing the good word and blessing one another with it. Yes? Yes? Would you rise as we go into a time of response? Let me pray and then we'll go into this time. Father, now as we do go, we bless you for blessing us. We adore you and worship you for blessing us. 
And as we remember the one through whom all blessings come today, Jesus, through this meal, Jesus, may you delight in this time. May you be pleased in this time. For we remember what you've done in our place in this time. And I pray for these things, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Midtown, please go to midtownchurch.com.